This message is about faithful stewardship, giving is part of that, and I will touch on that also. Now, this has a lot of scripture verses in it. That's why I have printed these notes out uh, so you can follow along. Anyone who did not get a copy of this note, just slip up your hands. They will bring it to you. Everyone got a copy? Oh, here. Here is um, Sister Devadi's mom. Okay. Anyone else who didn't get a copy of this note? Okay. So when you open those uh, pages, and you will see that there are a lot of scriptures there. That's why I'm giving you these uh, notes. You can take it with you. Please take it with you. And during the week, look through those scriptures. Make sure what your pastor has preached is true. It is indeed in the Bible. Okay? Um, you don't have to take a... I'm having problems with this microphone. Hello? Can you hear me? Can all of you hear me? Okay, all right, okay, good. Okay, now we're going to start our discussion this morning in, uh, in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16, and you can see that if you look at the notes, you can see that there are 13 verses covering that story, and because of that, I will not be reading uh, that story this morning because uh, that's a story of, uh, uh, if you look at the Bible, if you have a Bible that uses titles, it will say the story of a, a dishonest uh, steward or an unfaithful steward. Now, um, we have to start our thoughts understanding what stewardship means, why stewardship is so important and so emphasized in the pages of the, the New Testament. A steward was actually a, a slave. Remember, in the Roman society, there were only two categories of people. One group of people were slaves. And other group of people were citizens. They had no green card holders in the Roman society. You know, when we come to this country, they don't give you citizenship right away. You know, you have to uh, earn your green card first and then wait for five years before you can apply uh, to become a citizen of this nation. That's not the way the Roman society worked. Remember when the Bible was written in the first century? The world was being governed by the Roman government. And in the Roman government, everyone who was not a citizen was considered as a slave. And slaves came from many different backgrounds. I don't want to go into that uh, this morning. But just like uh, you get green card here, uh, in, in uh, the different categories where how you can get uh, a green card, they also had a different categories. And uh, if you were a slave and you were good at things, you could earn money. And you could save some of that money and you could buy your citizenship with the money that you had uh, procured or amassed. Now, remember in the, at the end of the book of uh, Acts, in, I believe in Acts chapter 26, uh, I believe Festus, um, or, no, no, the centurion who arrested Apostle Paul said, uh, uh, when Paul told, you, or told him that I'm a Roman citizen, even though he was a Jew, he was a Roman citizen, and the, and the centurion was surprised to hear that this Jewish man is a Roman citizen. And he asked him, how did you get citizenship? And Paul said, I was born as a citizen because his father was a very wealthy man in the Roman kingdom. Some people say they had a shipping line 
we don't, I don't know. I haven't seen any proof of that. Um, but that's what some people say. Anyway, he came from a very well-to-do family background. And because of that, they were given citizenship automatically because of their financial status, even though they were Jewish people. Okay, And then this centurion said, but I couldn't get, I didn't come from such a noble background. I had to pay money to get my citizenship. So there were different ways to get citizenship in, in the Roman society. And now, but most of the people started their lives as a slave somewhere. And slave doesn't mean that you were treated very bad. Some slaves were uh, more higher privileges than the sons and daughters of the family. Because it depended on their worth. It depended on what they knew, how helpful they were to the master. Okay, and uh, um, even medical doctors were slaves. Luke, the person who wrote the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, actually he was a slave. He was a slave. We, don't, we have no proof that he ever became a Roman citizen. The only thing that historical references we can see is that he was actually a slave. But at the same time, he was a medical doctor. See, so that's the way Roman society functioned. Amen. Now, uh, because they only had a limited number of citizens, the citizens were very wealthy. You know about the Roman Senate and things like that. All the senators were extremely wealthy. And they needed people to take care of their wealth. Their wealth was mainly cattle, plantations, you know, precious metals, etc. So they needed people to take care of their wealth. And so among the slaves that they, uh, they get, they will look for capable people. And they will give them more responsibility, more responsibility. I will touch on that uh, as we discuss uh, this topic today. And so a person gets more responsibility. And when that person does their responsibility well, he gets more confidence from the master. So he gets a, a higher position and a higher position and a higher position. And steward was the highest position a slave could get under a master. Because when you became a steward, basically you became the business manager for this man. You control all the wealth. You, you are the only person who knew how much wealth this man actually had, how much plantation he has, how much harvest he had in the last season. Because he is so busy playing politics in the Senate or, or he is uh, working as a general in the field or something like that. He, has, he doesn't have time. So the, the financial well-being of that family depended on this man who, was, who had become a steward. And that's why the Bible tells us, if you look at that picture in the front page, you know, it quotes a verse from First Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 2. Can you read that? That little verse in the front says, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. See, it was extremely important that a steward was a faithful person because it was very easy for him to embezzle the funds. You know, it was so easy for him to divert the master's assets. And, uh, and many times the master wouldn't even know for a while. And eventually he will find out he will be punished, etc. But that's a different story. But in Luke chapter 16, what Jesus said is the story of an unfaithful steward. I mean, remember, this man was capable. If he wasn't capable, he would never become a steward. 
Remember what I said? They always start at the lowest escalon and they come up, come up, come up, come up in responsibility until he gained the full confidence of the master. And that's the only time he can become a steward. And this man went through that process, gained the confidence of the master. But once he became steward, he became unfaithful. He didn't care anymore because he's enjoying the position now. Hey, I'll run the show here. Hello. Are you with me? You know, his attitude changed and he was like, I run the show here. You all of you guys better listen to me. You know, I'm, there are multiple pictures of unfaithful stewards in the, in the New Testament because Jesus talked about that more than others, even more than the apostles because Jesus knew the system very well and Jesus knew that, hey, I am going to do the same thing. You know, I, Remember the enterprise called the church belongs to Jesus. And he cannot run this whole thing. There are 2.5 billion at least people who call themselves Christians on the face of the earth. And Jesus cannot run this enterprise called church by himself. So he's going to put people who has gained his confidence. Who came up through the ranks. Remember two weeks ago. We appointed a couple of new ministers in this church. And they are coming up through the ranks. And gaining the confidence of the church. And gaining the confidence of Jesus. Who called them in the first place. Amen. And then Jesus is entrusting them. And when he entrusts them these duties. What is the first thing that he expects from them? To be faithful. To be faithful. It's extremely important for any man who comes and becomes a steward of God's riches to be faithful. Amen? In the, man, in the human area also, it was the same thing. And in, in, this, uh, in this story that Jesus said, Jesus said, hey, there was a man like this, but once he became the steward, he became lazy. He just wanted to enjoy the position. He just wanted to enjoy, today we will say enjoy the perks that came with the position. He didn't take care of the father's, I mean, master's business very well. Then the master came one day, asked him for the account, and the account was not ready. He hadn't entered everything into his account books. Remember, they didn't have a computer at that time. So he, this guy had to literally write down, this is how much wheat we got from this field, this is how much grape we got from this wine yard, and this is how much wine we made out of it. Everything had to be tallied. He didn't do it. And because he didn't do it, the master said, I'm going to fire you. Because you are an unfaithful person. So make sure, remember, but we cannot just completely fire him on the spot either. Because no master don't know where things are. So he said, okay, you go, I'm going to give you a few days, X number of days. You're going to get all the accounts together and tally the account, balance the account. And then give me, hand me over the, the account book and then you're fired. And the guy realized, oh my God, if I get fired... What, what is going to happen to him? He says he had to start all over again at the lower escalon of society because he's still a slave. So once the master fire him, where he going to end up is in the slave market. And nobody's going to put him as a, as a steward again because this man was fired because he was already found unfaithful. So he had to start all over again. And he is probably a middle-aged man by that time. So that's why he said to himself, Hey, I have to take care of me. I have to find a way to take care of me. And what am I going to do? I'm going to make friends now. So that if this man send, you know, fire me, actually fire me as he is threatening, 
I don't end up in the slave market. I have a place to go. So he called all the people who owed money to the master and said, Hey, how much you owe to the master? Hundred bushels of wheat. That means somebody was, you know, remember we, in, we all, most of us came from third world countries. And you know, if you are a poor man, you will go get a piece of land from a, a landowner and you cultivate there. And then a portion of that has to harvest, has to go back to the landowner. So that's what it means, that somebody had done that. So the guy went to the guy and said, no, 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 don't worry about it. You know, change, change your numbers. Write down 50. Just give me a receipt for 50. And the guy was very happy because 50 bushels of wheat is a lot of money in those days. And he went to another man and said, how much you owe? Because another man had a rented or leased the, the olive plantations of the master had it somewhere. And this man had got a lot of olive oil out of it. And he was supposed to do all the labor and then give the master part of it in return. And he asked them, that guy, how much oil do you owe? I owe hundred jugs of oil. Jug means, you know, big, big barrels of oil. He said, change it, change it, change it. Don't worry about it, change it. Write down 50. And just give me a receipt for 50. You know, and I, Jesus gave only two examples, but I can, I think there were many, many more people to whom he went and did the same thing. You know why? He's making friends now. <laughs> because if he saved them 50 gallons of oil, I mean, 50 barrels of oil, of course he's going to be happy to take care of this man for a month. <laughs> you understand? He's trying to take care of himself. And eventually the news came back to the master. And the master called him. Instead of firing him, the master actually praised him. Because the master told him, I knew all along you were a capable guy. That's why I made you the steward of this, my, my entire wealth, my entire estate. You were supposed to take care of it. But you became lazy. See, now you're waking up. See, as soon as you wake up, your mind started working and you see you're doing things very wisely. That's all I want from you. To show the same wisdom in handling my affairs. And we don't know. The story actually kind of ends without a, 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 a definite conclusion. But if you ask me, I would say that the master reappointed him. Because now the guy learned his lesson. Why? Because it is required of the stewards to be faithful. Amen? It's very, very important. Capable, but uh, unfaithful. Amen. So, so sometimes crisis is not a bad thing. Crisis will wake us up. Remember, sometimes many, many we know how many young people we know in their twenties, thirties, they are partying, partying, partying. Then all of a sudden they wake up and they, oh my God, I got three children now. <laughs> I'm a dad with three children. I cannot spend my fun, money or the, the whole money partying. You know. Uh, he sells his expensive sports car and go and buy a minivan. Overnight they change. Why? They wake up. Wake up and they realize. See, listen, even in the pages of the Bible you can see people like that. Remember Jacob? You know, Jacob was an I don't care attitude kind of guy. You know, until he was serving his uh, uncle and, and taking care of his flock and time flew by. And one day all of a sudden Jacob woke up and he said, oh my God, I had two wives and I have children. 
And I have two concubines. I have children from them. Wow, I have a big crowd of people to take care of now. What am I going to do? So that's the day he woke up and went to his uncle and said, Listen, I served you all this time, you know, but you didn't have really paid me for my service. I need payment. You know, the rest of the story. So if God wake you up, God wake you up, and if God uses this message to wake up somebody here or somebody who is watching, it's a good, a good thing. Because all of us have to wake up at some point in life. Because time does not wait for any of us. Remember, all of us feel like we are still teenagers, but we are not. You know, I mean, we don't know where the time went, right? Before you knew, we became a grand- I became a grandpa. And then you begin to wonder, wow, yesterday I was so young. It's time for us to wake up. Turn to somebody and say, Pastor is trying to wake you up. <laughs> Amen. Amen. When we study the Bible, there are four areas where God expects us to be faithful. So all four time, all four things are uh, in your notes. I will quickly run through this and try to finish on time. Okay. Now the first thing is time. First thing is time. Have you noticed that I have three, three references, scriptural references there? First one is from James chapter four, verses thirteen through sixteen. This is what James uh, wrote down there. Look here. You who say, today or tomorrow we are going to a certain town and will stay there a year. We will do business there and make a profit. Sounds like one of us, right? How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? This is New Living Translation, so you can understand. Your life is like the morning fog. It's here, a little while, then it's gone. What you ought to say is if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise, you are boasting about your own pretentious plans and all such boasting is evil. Jesus was to tell us, teach us, that uh, the first thing that we need to learn is to be good stewards of our time. Many times we don't do that. Many times we don't do that. Amen. Many times people feel that, uh, oh, I have the entire life ahead of me. I don't have to care now. I have, I can wait. I can wait. You know, I know some young people when they're teenage years, in their teenagers, if you try to give them advice and say, hey, start planning for your future. Think about a career. They say, no, I'm a young man. Let me enjoy my life. You know, and, and, and before they know, they are in their 30s and they haven't done nothing. And then they look at their friends and they say, all of their friends are in good positions. I mean, some of the salaries people make these days, I cannot digress, but uh, time to uh, permit me, but uh, it's insane. Insane. I was talking to somebody, uh, a sister the other day, and she was telling me that one of her friend's son is a vascular surgeon. And he makes one million dollars a year. One, a doctor, you know, and not all the doctors make that kind of money, okay. But this specialty allows that child, only in his 30s, already makes one million dollars a year in salary. Can you imagine that? How insane that is? 
You know, we usually associate that kind of money only with the business people, right? But it's crazy, some of the salaries, you know, people make these days. So what I'm trying to say is, you know, people think, oh, I don't have to do anything, I will wait, wait. And before you know, other people have gone way ahead of you. I'm not asking you to get into a right race. I'm not asking you to change your attitude and, and, and try to keep up with the Jones. I'm not saying that. But God one day will say, Hey, I gave you 70 years on the face of the earth. You lived there for 75 years. What did you do with those 75 years? See, time is something that we need to develop as stewardship for. Another example there, a scripture portion there is from the Gospel of Luke. Okay, where Jesus is telling another story. This is what Jesus said there. I'm going to read from verses 16 through 20. Then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I will have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I will sit back and say to myself, My friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Drink, eat, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you work for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. This is what Jesus taught us. We need to pay attention. At the same time, we have to remember that tomorrow is not guaranteed for us. I have a very wise friend. He's a theologian. You know, now he's almost 90 years old, still alive. When I was young, as I was getting into ministry and I was going to go into full-time ministry, I remember one day he visited us in our home. And he was already the principal of a Bible college and all these things. Um, so we are talking and he asked me, um, you know, about my plans for my family because that's very important. I will touch on that. Hopefully I will have time for that. Uh, and uh, um, so I said, okay, I'm going into full-time ministry and I have decided to live by faith. So he asked me, Sonny, do you have a plan? I said, uh, well, my plan is to live by faith. He again asked me, Sonny, do you have a plan? Because I'm married. I already had three children. I had a house mortgage. I had a car payment, all of this, and I'm, I'm jumping headfirst into full-time ministry without any guarantee from anybody. And he asked me again, do you have a plan? Uh, I knew this man is going somewhere with this. So I said, what do you suggest? You know what he said? You have to live as a Christian as if this is the last day on the face of the earth for you. But as a father, you have to plan for next 50 years for your family. I said, wow. I never looked at it that way. Because you only hear about people living by faith. But people who are living by faith also have to pay their bill. Hello. 
You can say you are living by faith, but if you own a home, you have to pay the mortgage. You have to pay the current bill. Connerson doesn't care if you are living by faith. They will cut off your electricity. The gas company will come and cut off your gas. So, when, when our faith is concerned, we must be ready. That's what Jesus was telling, talking about. This guy was the opposite. He got plenty of money. You know, plenty of money. And he said, hey, for years I don't have to cultivate my field anymore. Because I have so much stored up already. I'm just going to sit back, relax, enjoy from what I have accumulated already. But he had a, no concern that this may be his last day on the face of the earth. How many millions of people we know like that in our world today. So, so that's one side of the story. The other side of the story, as far as we Christians are concerned, are in our faith, we, we have grandchildren, we have houses, we have cars. So we have to think about both sides of this equation. Amen. That's why I covered the spiritual side last week and I'm covering the physical side this week. Now you know why I'm preaching about this today, right? So Jesus said, uh, this is what you have to do. You have to be mindful of your time. Amen. Before you know, the time will be gone. Remember what uh, Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter 3? He said, for everything there is a season. A time for every activity under the heaven. That's, that's so true. Amen. When you're young, you have to work hard. So that when you're old, you can take it easy a little bit. If you try to take it easy when you're young, in your 20s and 30s, and refuse to work when you're 20s and 30s, and think that, oh, later on I will take care of myself, guess what? You are not going to be physically fit to do that in your 50s and 60s. So time to wake up. Turn around to somebody and say, it's time to wake up. All right. The second main point I want to share with you this morning. Is the second area where the Bible asks us to be mindful of, faithful stewards. It's in the area of talents. Talents. And the scripture there is taken from Matthew chapter 25, verses 15 through 28. You all all know that story, I believe. That's a story where Jesus talked about someone getting five talents, someone getting two talents, someone getting one talent. Now, I'm trying to save time, okay? So, uh, when... A uh, couple of questions I just want to address from that story this morning. First of all, in verse 15, if you look at verse 15, you know, each person was given talents according to their ability. So there was a perspective issue there. The one talent guy got very upset. One talent guy got very upset. And he said, how come I get only, I got only one talent? You know, how come this guy got two talents and this guy got five talents and I got only one talent? So he was very upset. He became bitter. He said, I'm doing nothing. I'm going to just bury this. Because I know if I lose it, my master will ask me account one day. So I don't want to lose it. So I'm going to bury it. And he was very upset because he couldn't understand why he was given only one talent. But the story tells us very clearly in verse 15. Each person was given according to their ability. All of us don't have the same ability. Acknowledge that. Acknowledge that. All of us are not born the same way. All of us are not, don't have the same intelligence, same IQ, same education, this and that. But that doesn't mean that you have to fail in life. 
See, when I was preparing this message yesterday, I was asking myself, why did Jesus get angry with this guy? At least he didn't lose it. But Jesus got very angry. Because Jesus said, stewards are not supposed to be lazy. I gave you one talent, knowing that that's the ability that you have. But at the same time, I expected you to use that one talent and make something out of it. Hallelujah. And many times we say, oh, if I could preach like Billy Graham, I would have conducted crusades too. True. I'm sure you would do that. But you're not Billy Graham. I'm not Billy Graham. But that shouldn't stop you from sharing the gospel with one person. Hello? Are you coming with me this morning? Yes, you don't have the ability to speak to 50,000 people. Or like Bonga did in Africa. Speak to one million people in one shot. You don't have the ability to do that. God didn't give you that ability. But don't get bitter like this man. How come I am not the next Bonga? God, why didn't you make me the next Bonga? There's only one Bonga, okay? Remember Bonga put somebody else in his place and that young man is... Struggling as far as I'm concerned. Because there's only one bonge that God created. So instead of getting bitter and asking God, oh God, why don't you make me the next bonge? Use the talent that you have. Amen. You can share the gospel with one person. If you cannot speak to one million people at one time, you can speak to one person. You can share your life story with somebody. Amen. Right? You can encourage somebody with your stories, how God came through for you, how God answered your prayers, the miracles you have seen in your life, the miracles you have witnessed in your home. Can you share that with somebody? All of us can participate in the kingdom work. All of us can participate in the kingdom work. Amen? So turn to somebody and say, stop complaining and start doing something. Because we are all whining. Sorry folks. You are saying that no I am not doing anything because I am not. I am not blessed like the next person. His testimony is not much better than my testimony. Who cares? Just share. Open your mouth and share the gospel with somebody. You will be surprised how many people will come to Christ. Amen. And then we know Jesus got upset with this man. And he, Jesus said something. I will take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. It doesn't make any sense, right? He already got ten talents. But Jesus said, I'm going to give this guy this. You know why? Because Jesus wanted to give talents to somebody who will do something with it. Not because he's partial to somebody. He's looking for faithful stewards. That's the point. We have to be faithful in what we got. And when you are faithful in what we got, Jesus said, I will help you. I will back you up and I will increase your capacity. Amen. And you know, if you, all, if you look at the, all these global ministries, it all started in a small church like this, somewhere. And they proved themselves faithful. And God brought more stuff, more stuff, more stuff. You know, if you look at uh, 
um, even singers, right? Most of the singers, Christian singers that we sing their songs here. But they all started in some church somewhere. Even many of the secular singers, famous singers, started in some church somewhere. And then God blessed them, but some of them turned around and using it for the world. That's a different story. Okay, I need to finish my message, so let me move on. And the third area in your notes, where God expects us to be faithful stewards, is in the area of grace. Please listen to this. Area of grace. You know why God gave you grace? God showed grace to you? First Peter chapter 4 and verse 10. As each have received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied gifts. See, one area where I have issue with Christians is this. We forget how many sins God forgave us. We are so quick to pick on other people and say, oh, no, 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 this person is not a Christian. This lady is not a Christian. That man is not a Christian. You know, because I find this small problem in that person or this issue in that person. All the time when you do that, guess what? You're forgetting how many sins God forgave you. Anyone who has a clear understanding of the forgiveness of God can never cut down another person. Please listen to me. You cannot do that. You know why? Because the moment you open your mouth, what comes to your mind is, oh my God, I was worse than that. And God forgave me. And God restored me. God made me a new creation. And I am a Christian today, not because of my merit, but because of the forgiveness that He extended to me. Hallelujah. I am serving God, not because I am better than other people, but because of His faithfulness. And He never leaving me, not forsaking me, sustaining me and supporting me and pushing me forward. That's the only reason where I am here today. Amen? And if you know that, we have to make sure, make sure that you share that grace with other people. Okay? And the word that... uh, Peter uses his minister one to another. In a church, that's the most important duty of all the members. All of us should be ministering to each other. I know we have ministers with official titles, but don't wait for them. You don't need a title to minister to somebody. Hello? Hello, do you understand that? You don't need a title to minister to somebody. Amen? And, uh, and Peter said, minister one to another. So nobody likes anything. Amen? Praise God. Hallelujah. So I'm going to come to the last point and to finish. And the fourth area where the Bible asks us to be good stewards is uh, uh, about money. Again, you can see multiple references there. I'll touch on it uh, as we go along. If I may quickly summarize what I want to share. And uh, uh, for the rest of my message is this. Okay, there are three things that God expects you to do with your money. Please listen to me. Three things that God expects you to do with your money. Number one is take care of your family. Take care of your family. You know, I love this verse that, uh, uh, that is in Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 22. Where Solomon said, a wise man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. In other words, the... Uh, 
Solomon was saying that if you handle things wisely with a lifetime, you can make enough money to serve three generations. All of us won't make the same amount of money. I agree with that. But in a country like this, if you came here, especially I have a few young people here, you know, a few, a couple of college students, so good to have them here this morning. Okay, um, you know, if you, you guys start working when you're 18 years old, right? And they don't give you social security until you're 67. By the time you guys grow up, it may be 75. So if you start at age 18, starting working in a pharmacy or a McDonald's or wherever, with a little job, and work until the age 75, you know how many years of work that is? 75 minus 18. How much is that? 65 minus 18. 57 years of labor. 57 years of work. And 50, after 57 years of work, at the end of your life, if you have nothing to show for it, in the richest country in the world, something is wrong. Something is wrong. I'm talking about the people who start here, okay? Not people who come here in the Middle Age, all right? So this is, this is what the Bible tells us. You have to handle your money wisely. And this is very important. Listen to me. You may not like this, but let me tell you the truth. Jesus spoke about money more than he talked about heaven and hell. It was a big revelation for me when I first found that out. Because Jesus not only wanted you to go to heaven, Jesus wanted you to be successful here too. And he has shown us what to do. There are only three things that the Bible demands with, uh, to, to do with your money. Number one is take care of your family. Okay? And it's very important, absolutely no excuse for not taking care of your family. Bible is very strict. Very strict. In fact, you know that the capitalism came from Bible. Today, you know, the young people are indoctrinated that that is wrong. Christianity is the root cause of capitalism, so Christianity is wrong. All kinds of things are weird things are being taught to our young people. But the, what they are saying is true though. Capitalism did come from the Bible. Because the Bible emphasizes that every able-bodied man should work. And every able-bodied woman should work. That's the ethic, work ethic in the Bible. In fact, uh, Apostle Paul wrote to the Thessalonians and said, If, nobody, if somebody don't want to work, let him not eat. And when you're hungry, you will automatically go out and work. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't take care of people who cannot work. That's why we have this, the, what we call the welfare network there. Okay, that, that, that's good. Because it's good that we are living in a, in a country that is able to do that. You know, we, I'm very grateful for that. That's only because this country has the wealth to do that. And where did that wealth come from? From the people who work so hard. And made the world. Are you with me? Amen. And uh, you know, Bill Gates has become a villain, <laughs> especially after COVID started, because he is one of the first investors into the vaccine thing. And people say vaccine is all kinds of you know all the stories about vaccine out there. But put all of that aside for a moment. I respect this man. You know why I respect this man? He yesterday 
or day before yesterday, he wrote another big check of 25 billion dollars. 25 billion dollars to a number of charities. Wouldn't you like to be in that position? Huh? Who wouldn't like to be in that position? 25 billion dollars. And you know what was his, uh, you know why I respect him? When he retired as CEO of Microsoft, I think his network was 111 or 112 billion dollars. And he has one child. And he said, my child don't need 112 billion dollars to live comfortably. So I'm going to give my child one billion dollars and give all the rest of the money away. And he's systematically doing that all over the world. Okay? But he's not only making vaccines, you know, I know that's a controversial issue, but he's also digging bore wells in Africa and all kinds of things. Alright? So, what I'm trying to say is, the world, this country has the wealth because they worked so hard and used the opportunities that they had. So the Bible is very clear that you have to work hard and make money. God expects you to make money. And then God expects you to take care of your family. That's the Christian lifestyle. Please listen to me. And the second thing what Bible tells us to do is give alms to the poor. Giving alms to the poor is both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. In fact, when you look at the New Testament, most of the collections that you see in the New Testament was to help the poor people. One day, I preached about that in this church. Probably it's on our website. Okay? What God expects you to do with your money. You can look, listen to that later if you want. And the third thing that God expects you to do with your money is to honor God with your substance. Honor God with your substance. Amen? This is very, very important teaching in the Bible. Now, look at that last main point. A biblical understanding of money. I'm going to run through the sub-points there. First one, first one. These are the things that Bible teaches about money, okay? The main points the Bible teaches. Number one, God owns it all. Because He's the owner of this entire universe. Amen? In Haggai chapter 2. Haggai chapter 2 and, uh, uh, and verse 8. God said, uh, the silver and gold belongs to me. That means in, in Psalm 50, um, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. Psalm 50 verses 9 and 10. God said, I will not accept a bull from your house or gods from your forest. For every beast of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. You know what God was trying to show to the Old Testament people, that when you bring a sacrifice into the temple, don't act like you're doing God a big favor. Are you with me? To translate that into today, if you put five dollar in the offering plate, don't act like you are doing God a favor. You're not. Because it all belongs to God in the first place. Amen. 
God is just allowing you to use a portion of what He owns. If the entire universe belongs to you, then whatever you do to make a living also belongs to Him. And He is letting you to use that venue so that you can make a living for yourself. So be grateful. Be grateful for your job. Be grateful for your health. Amen. Stop complaining. Be grateful that you can go to work. Amen. Be grateful that you are, you know, we know somebody, we know somebody, and, and actually that person is related to some people in our church, so I'm not going to mention name. He's bedridden in, his, in the prime of his youth. He became bedridden. When I went there, I was so surprised. He's such a healthy young man in a coma for many years now. What are you going to do? Are you happy that you are not in that condition this morning? Are you happy that you have a job? Are you happy that you can still go out and work? Are you happy that you can still make a living? That's what God wants us to do. Amen. Make sure that you recognize that God owns everything in this universe. Hallelujah. And the second thing that goes along with that in Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 18. This is what Moses told Old Testament Israel. You shall remember the Lord your God for it is He who gives you the power to get wealth. If you are successful in life, be grateful. Because God allowed you to be successful. Not because we are any better than anybody else. But God gave us the opportunity, provided us the opportunities. And we used it and became successful in life. So remember the Lord your God who gave you that opportunity. Amen. Hallelujah. And the third thing that God expects is this. God expects, in the note it says, God expects the wealth. But actually it should read, God expects the wealthy to be faithful. God expects the wealthy to be faithful. That's the verse on the front of your uh, uh, notes this morning. It is required for stewards that they be found faithful. Amen. Now, also, um, in, uh, um, the next thing that I want to show you is this. Because we also have to remember that in the end God will ask an account of everything to us. We all have to stand before the judgment seat of God. If you are a Christian, you are not standing there to go to heaven or hell. Because you are already destined to go to heaven. When you accepted Jesus as your savior and you follow him in this lifetime, your faith is already secured. You are going to heaven. Are you with me? All of you look like you are so scared to hear that. Why do you look like you're so scared to hear that? You're already going to heaven. Because you're already a child of God. Amen. Your sins are forgiven. And if something happened in your life, you have the right to go to Jesus and ask forgiveness all over again. And get washed and cleansed all over again. So you are going to heaven. Turn to somebody and say, yes, I know. I hope, I look forward to seeing you in heaven. Come on, say it, say it. I look forward to seeing you in heaven. Come on, come on, let us be happy, a bunch of happy people. I look forward to seeing you in heaven. It's a different story when you think about the other side of it. If we cannot talk to each other here, how are we going to spend an eternity together? 
Amen. Think about that. Amen. All right. So what I'm saying, what I was trying to say was that, but we also have to stand before a throne one day. Before a, but that throne is called. That's what we read in Second Corinthians chapter five. I don't have time to go through all of that. But when you stand before that throne, which is called the bema seat of Christ, you know that's not to decide whether you go to heaven or hell. No, that is decided here in this life. When you stand before that throne, what is going to be decided there is the kind of rewards that you will get. God will open the book of remembrance. And will, that's where he's going to ask you the account. After you got saved, you got saved, I got saved when I was eight years old. Can you imagine? Wow. You know? And if suppose I die when I'm 75 years old. That is how many years I'm getting? Hmm? 67 years after I got saved. You are, you are a Christian for 67 years? Well done, Sonny. Good, good, good. And Jesus will shake my hands. Wow, you are a Christian for 67 years. And I feel very scared. And then he will say, Okay, now let's see what you did for that 67 years. And I, my head goes down. And I'm looking at him sideways. Oh, wow, what is he looking at now? That's what's going to happen when we stand before that throne. Amen. We'll still go to heaven, but many of us will be so ashamed when we get to heaven. Because you know, if the story of Lazarus and the rich man is true, when we are in heaven enjoying, you know, we'll be in trouble. I think many people will not enjoy heaven. You know why? Because while they are there, they can look to the other side. All the relatives in hell, the family members in hell, the classmates in hell. And then all of a sudden, you wake up and you realize, oh my God, they are there because I never shared the gospel with them. And you know how long you're going to have that guilt? Eternity. Because you're getting out of, you're not getting out of heaven. And they are not getting out of hell. For eternity you're going to have that guilt. I could have changed their fate. That's why we need to be faithful today. Amen. And I have to run and finish this message. Okay. Now the last thing I want to share is this. Last two points. First of all, our Bible tells us to spend our money wisely. Okay. Spend our money wisely. Can I read this to you? This I know our time is up. But can I quickly read this? Proverbs chapter 27 verses 23 to 27. Listen to this. This is what Solomon said. Know well the condition of your flocks and give attention to your herds. For riches do not last forever. And does a crown endure to all generations? When the grass is gone and the new growth appears and the vegetation of the mountains is gathered, the lambs will provide you the clothing and the gods the price of a field. There will be enough gods milk for your food, for the food of your household and the maintenance of your girls. I did not know until I read that passage yesterday that girls were high maintenance even in Solomon's time. Oh, you didn't get that. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, 
let's say <laughs> Martin <laughs> sympathize man. <laughs> okay, so uh, listen. If I can talk to you, I don't have time. If I can talk to you from an investment point of view, what Solomon tells us there is to diversify your assets. Diversify your assets. Because in his day, most of the people were farmers. And he is giving an example there. Listen, the harvest will be over. And then you have to wait for the next harvest. So between this harvest and this harvest... There's a time period, months. How are you going to survive during those months? So make sure you have a herd. You have goats and cattle. You have milking cows and milking goats. So that you can take the milk. Because now the harvest is over. There's nothing to pick up from the ground. Hello, we all going to get in there in September, right? Nothing to pick up from the ground. And but you have this. You have a second source of income. So make sure you diversify. Today what we will say? Okay, if you make some, make, if you get a good salary, don't just spend it. Save it. Use it as a down payment for a house. So that you can maybe rent part of that house and make an income from that house. Are you with me? So Solomon was giving the basically the same advice 3000 years ago. So this is what the Bible tells us that God want expect God expect us to spend money wisely. Let me tell you, if you watch TV all day long, okay, the advertisers that come on the TV don't just put an ad over there. They spend millions of dollars doing marketing studies, and they know what sells and what they don't sell. What don't sell. So you know what is their goal? Let's say the man of the house bring one thousand dollar. A week to his home these days. The marketing guys want $1,010 to go out of his pocket. I was talking to somebody the other day. You know, when you're a pastor, you're always talking to people. You're in people business. And, um, and that man was saying, Pastor, I hope the next generation don't copy the traditional American mindset. You know what he was referring to? People go and work very hard. Out of the 52 works, they work so hard for 50 weeks. I look forward to that two weeks of vacation. And guess what? They go somewhere so expensive and spend all the money saved there for 50 weeks in that two weeks vacation. And start with the empty pocket again the first of the year. You know why? Because the marketing guys are genius. They know how to get the money out of your pocket. So if you want to save some money, turn off your TV for a while. That's the best thing you can do for yourself. Turn off the TV. Pick up this book and read this book and gain wisdom from this book. And this book will teach you the opposite. But we are so used to, so used to these marketing techniques. Listen, I don't have time to digress, so I'm going to finish. Okay. And the last final point I'm going to say is this. There's one very, very important thing that God expects you to do with your money. That is to give generously. A good Christian is a generous Christian. Please, 
Turn to somebody and say, a good Christian has to be a generous Christian. You cannot call yourself a Christian and not be generous. Remember what I said earlier. This entire premise is built on one thing. God so loved the world. And gave, gave, gave His only begotten Son so that He can become our Savior. The entire Bible is about giving. Amen. In the one of the, I forgot to put that verse in there. In one of the epistles, Paul says, Do not forget the grace of God that He showed us when Jesus, who who gave up everything and came down into this earth to be one of us, so that we who are poor can be rich. Listen, we have to be generous. But that generosity does not mean that you have to give everything away. Are you with me? That generosity does not mean that God expects you to give out everything that you have and not take care of your family. No. That's where God put the tithing in the Bible. That's all God is asking you to do. Honor God with me. Honor me with your substance. And the same God who demands that says, but I don't expect you to give me 100% of your income. I only expect you to give me 10% of your income. So if God is helping us to make money, and God is keeping us healthy, and God is giving us a good job, and God is giving us a good income, and we are able to take care of our children, we are able to take care of our kids, we are able to buy good cars, we are able to buy good homes, and if we are able, we have enough money to do all of this, why do we resist when it comes to tithing? Why people have such a big problem giving that tithe? Because God is giving you all of this. And the saying God turns around and says, I want you to honor me, not just with your lips, but with your substance. Many people only honor God with their lips. And God likes that. But God challenges us and says, honor me with your substance. At that same time, the saying God says, but that doesn't mean that. You don't have to take care of your family. You know, when I came into full-time ministry, I remember I used to, you know, I, I, my mother brought me up in a way. I grew up in a very poor home. But my mother was very particular. Whenever a servant of God comes to our home, we had to give him something. You know, I remember it was like a quarter. <laughs> when I was in the school, school boy, that's, we were poor. That's all we could afford. But mom, my mom would take, I was a firstborn, so she would take that quarter in my hand and give it in my hand and say, go give it to that pastor. Every pastor who came through our home got something. Whatever we could afford. And that's the way I grew up. So when the pastor comes home, you know, I have to give them something. So when I went into full-time ministry, you know, uh, I had no money. First few years, we were really struggling, really, really, really struggling, really living by faith. And, uh, and, but, even then I will write a check. I will write a check. You know, sometimes, you know, uh, four or five pastors show up in my home one time. They are so happy that I'm going into full-time ministry. So they want to come and spend time with me. But I have to give them something. You know, this is in my blood. So one day I complained to God. And I said, God, I wrote five checks this, this week. And I don't have enough money to cover that check. 
in my checking account. By faith I am writing this check. So please open a source for me to cover this money. You know, he did that, but before that he rebuked me. And he said, Sonny, I didn't ask you to write those checks. I didn't ask you to write five checks this week. I said, what? So I had to stay back. And I had to rethink everything. And that's when I realized the same God who demands us to honor him with our substance also demands us to be wise with what he has given us. And he says, I want you to honor me, but just honor me with your tithes. That's all I'm asking you. Just honor me with your tithes. That's all I'm asking you. If you do that, I'll make sure you get to enjoy the 90% that you have. And that's where Malachi comes in. That's where he said, I will make sure I will withhold the destroyer. That destroyer may show up in the shape of a state trooper on Southern State Parkway. That destroyer can show up as a parking meter lady in Queens. That destroyer can show up as an out of the blue chest pain. And all of this you have to address. Right? And then you begin to wonder, oh my God, $285? Because I went 10 miles over the speed limit. But I didn't honor my God with $50. But the government know how to get $285 the same week out of my pocket. You better think what I'm saying today. The same God who demands us to honor Him. Because He says, if I am the Father, where is my honor? He demands us to honor Him. But also tells us, kid, be wise with the money I give you. Don't waste it. Don't spend it crazily. Save it. Take care of your family. Invest for your future. At the same time, don't forget to honor me with your tithes. That's all God wants from us. What a way to live, folks. If we will listen to God, none of us will fail in our lives. If we'll follow what God has shown us, all of us will succeed in our lives. Stand up with me all over this place. Hallelujah. Holy Father, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. Thank you for your presence here, O God. Thank you for your wisdom that you have shared with us in your word, O Father. Lord, open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts to understand the wisdom that you have given to us for our sake in your word, O Father. And help us to follow that in our lives, O God. I pray in the name of Jesus that nobody who comes to gateway will fail in their lives. I declare in the name of Jesus that nobody comes to worship you in gateway will fail in their lives. 
all of them will succeed in their lives of father you will open doors of heaven for them of father windows of heaven for them of father and you will open doors of new opportunities for them of father you will keep them in good health to continue to work during the work, workable years of father i pray father all of us will have the wisdom and understanding to honor you on one side and at the same time the wisdom to take care of our family on the other side of father Help us all to be successful here and also live our life in a way that we will not be missing out when you come back to receive us. Glorify your name through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, 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 amen. If you quickly look at the... Thank you, thank you, sister. If you quickly look at the last part of uh, uh, that note, that self-explanatory... So you can follow that later.